This is Religion and Theology, a podcast from the Center for Theology and Religious Studies. This is the fourth episode from the concluding conference on the research project Integration and Tradition, the making of the Syriac Orthodox Church in Sweden. And this is a concluding panel discussion in which the participants will either introduce themselves or be introduced by the chair of the session, Dr. Magdalena Rodin, whom I will hand over the word to now. from he's the director of MI studies in Zurich theology at the University of Salzburg, Salzburg and a lot of other things too of course and of course learning too and then we have also Lola Barton-Hosi development manager at the Swedish Red Cross and then unfortunately we 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 missed one panel member uh, uh, we had uh, also uh, Habiba Kabenge Musana invited to come to be part of the panel and she is a pastor at uh, um, International Charismatic Church in Malmö and she has been part of this two days and been part of the panel and would give us kind of the back to the perspective of, of the Pentecostal uh, international congregations but unfortunately for family reasons she couldn't be here today so it's more time for you to talk there so that's kind of good for you but but kind of in, in self for us listening to um, to her so uh, the way to do this is that I, I've sent you some kind of uh, ideas of what we would like to know, and I mentioned that before. Uh, so I would like you to start interview to say a little about how do you come into this uh, idea of uh, integration uh, and tradition, uh, and how you would kind of from your how you work with it and your knowledge. And I'll, I'll just continue. You sit here. No, I just changed. I turned it the other way now. Well, you will start now. Well, I start. Yeah, yeah, because the person the other way. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, I will present myself, uh, and I can talk about the topic of uh, religious minorities in relation to tradition and migration for hours. So you have to stop me if I'm if I go too far. Um, 
So my name is Brula Barnohorossi, and uh, I am a doctor. I'm a doctor in Italian literature. I finished my PhD maybe five years ago, and after that, I left the academic world. And even though I am uh, a researcher in Italian literature, my, uh, my main focus area was myth criticism. So I've studied a lot of, of religious anthropology and religious sociology as part of my research. Uh, and I worked a lot with the concepts of the sacred and the profane in relation to time and space uh, in my research. So, um, and as you can see, maybe, <laughs> I'm part of the Syriac Orthodox Church. I was brought up in a family full of priests. My maternal grandfather was a priest. My maternal uncle was a priest. My father-in-law is a priest. Uh, so for me and for my cultural and... Um, like formative background, uh, the church has always been an integral part of, of, of my identity. Uh, so even though I belong to the like Assyrian part of the, of the group, uh, for us in my family, the national and the church identity was, were always in interdependent. So they were never in, in contradiction in any way. So we, um, we spoke Syriac at the house. It was a very important part of our family going to church. And I realized today that I am a deacon. I'm a female deacon, even though I'm not ordained. <laughs> I never define myself uh, as a deacon because I am, of course, part of the choir when I go to church. But I, I realized my mother once told me that you are a deacon, even though you are not ordained. And I never defined myself in that way. So it was interesting. Um, so at a young age, uh, I was brought up in this church tradition, and I, I saw like this historical and traditional continuum, which I was very proud of being a part of. Uh, the Orthodox tradition, our rituals, and everything that had to do with that. And uh, when I became a teenager, of course, there was this clash uh, with, the, with the Swedish um, um, majority um, culture. Uh, and when I was about like 16 and 17 years old, the debate about honor culture in Sweden became really uh, urgent. And I found myself being part of the church, uh, discussing it with the priests uh, about uh, things like, is, honor, uh, is this honor culture uh, an integral part of our, of our culture? Uh, does it have to do with traditions or does it have religious connotations and how can we work against this? Uh, and being a part of that, so I, together with the priests in my in my uh, congregation, that was um, Saint Jacob's uh, congregation in Sudetelia, uh, we started developing this project and raising awareness about these issues, like what is the part of the female in our in our church in our congregation, and and how can we like raise democratic awareness. Um, so. Um, it was, you spoke earlier about double discrimination, and we, of course, had that, because uh, in relation to the, uh, to the Swedish society, there was, of course, uh, a racist discourse about, like, you are like that, and you have to, to, to learn the Swedish norms, and you have to be part of this, because, uh, like, Swedish feminism has, has brought us this far, and you can't be, like, a reactive, uh, a reactive force, uh, in bringing us back in time. And of course, I agree because I am a feminist and I want us to be equal as men and women. 
but it was difficult being in a position where I, have to where I had to defend my congregation and my ethno-religious group uh, against this racist discourse, even though I wanted to see like a movement within. So uh, even though I am a researcher and a scholar, I am here as an activist <laughs> from within. Uh, and of course, we had, as you have talked about today, uh, we have like a self-proclaimed elite uh, within our churches, mainly maybe the board or different families uh, or clans, maybe we should call them, uh, that decide what is like true or false and what is okay uh, according to our norms and not. Uh, so here I am today, and I have worked in the civil society here in Sweden for many years. So I'm like, I'm, a, I'm an activist within like uh, raising democratic awareness and uh, organ organizational uh, development. So I come in here and I have listened as a, like a part of, uh, of the Syriac Orthodox community, uh, as uh, a development <laughs> manager, if you call that that. Uh, within the civil society as a project leader cr trying to, to, uh, to create change uh, in these issues and, of course, as a scholar. Um, so, yeah, uh, I will stop there and maybe we can come back to me. Yeah, I agree, and really listen to what you kind of learn now and if you have changed some kind of things listening to us. Yeah, thank you. Can you hear me all? I hope, yeah. Yes, uh, there are lots that I can relate to you, Berola, because I'm coming from the same community and uh, is native speaker with Syro-Aramaic language, born in Turabdin, moved to Germany, went to school in Germany, studied in Germany, and then in England, back also to again to Germany for work. And now I'm based in Austria for the last 16 years. I'm working with something that's very much related actually to the question of uh, culture, acculturation, integration. <coughs> and this is basically the focus of, of my work and I will explain it a little bit further. So from the family point of view, taking and growing up in the Syriac uh, heritage, and then moving now to the sort of academic way of treating it is something uh, different. They're complementing each other, but also, of course, from the academic point of view, you look at the issues in different way. I studied Catholic theology just out of my interest to understand what is theology, how you talk about theology, how you look in the past and present from the dogmatical point of view, from the systematical point of view, as we heard before, so systematic theology or liturgical and so on. But also I studied uh, Syriac literature in, uh, in, uh, in the Oriental Institute in Oxford on M MA as, as well as doctorate, where I could sort of deepen my knowledge about my own tradition about the Syriac theology. And studying during the study time is always the questions, yeah, how do I relate it, particularly here to the Western European uh, context? Um, I, re I remember vividly first time when I went to Oxford, the way then I saw sort of the people in, in England talking about Germany. It is different than being in Germany, particularly coming as a child to Germany, growing up there in the system. We were sort of, as a child, looking up towards, towards sort of the German culture, the way they think sort of, we try, 
without awareness actually to adapt to it. Of course, learning Germany is a, is a major important skills. Uh, but beyond this, also try to measure actually everything what we've got according. I mean, I'm talking from my point of view as a child, as a teenager, and even then during the studies. Uh, but somehow leaving Germany, going to another uh, uh, national cultural way of thinking, suddenly I realized there's no one way of thinking that is sort of valid for everyone. And this was a process for me to learn more also and more and more to valid what is already there in the Syriac uh, culture and to point, uh, point to it. So this was sort of, for me, sort of like an eye-opening for, for myself. Um, now in terms of job, in, uh, after my studying, I managed, or we had the chance to create religious education for Syriac children according to German system, which is different in Sweden. Here you could write to do language, uh, uh, mother tongue language, native language to teach to, 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 to the children in the schools. But in German system is religious education. And we had the permission in Northern Westphalia to start there. Starting doing it, working with 23 teachers, reaching up to 2,200 children every week of our Syria community. And then for me, I realized in this process of education, of course, we have to feed the sc German schools. Yeah? We have to feed, we have to relate to it, and actually also be able properly to deal according to the system. And this was a call for me to see that we as a community, we are actually not ready totally there to, to work according to the system. Even we got the permission, even was there. And the focus of my work the first years was to train the teachers, to meet two days a month, every month with them, to reflect about certain things, how to deal with the children in the school, how to teach basically, but also to understand your role as a teacher, to, your, to understand this frame that the states give you, the schools give you under the authority of the state, but in the same time under the authority of the church. And this sort of cooperation between state and church, it was unique for us as such. Yeah? And related to the project here, what I heard yesterday, also this way sort of that the state what was this called, SST here, or, or the Church of England. It's a sort of, they got interest, they're acting, doing something in relation, and sort of that one tried to find sort of a cooperation between the state and the church, in one way or the other, or church and church. And uh, this was for, for us something new there, in, which is legally basically defined and to follow it. But training teacher to get to that level, to be able to act, it was a key issue. And for me, I realized two things from my even teenager time when my uncle started teaching Syriac children like Shah Moshe, Shah in the church uh, during even my school time. And it happened that I was one of the only few same age people who already knew something from the homeland. And I helped with him, my uncle, even at that age, and then later through doing my work also as a teacher there, sort of, basically I could say I had experience of teaching since my age of being 13 until now, but I realized more and more having experts in teaching, having well-educated teachers is a key role for a culture, for a church, 
for a society that function. Because bringing up children in one way or the other is a key function. And then I said, we have to do something as a church, just not me as Aho, or not just as one parish or one diocese. It has to be for our whole future of the Syriac community, basically in Europe, in the West, but in the same time, because our way of training people in the East almost collapsed due to factors that were not in our hand, wars and so on, that we have to create something here. And I'm still in this process. I'm very much at the beginning of this process. We experienced a few things in the last few years, but we are there basically still to find a way how can we do it. And uh, this is certainly play, would, would play in the future of the Syriac Church in Sweden, in Austria, in Germany, in whole Europe, but also actually for us globally in the whole world will play a key factor. How would we be managed to acculturate in the modern culture and how can we contribute, contribute actively, actively to the culture where we are? Um, for me personally, I want to relate the two words. We are saying in Syriac always, we receive this sort of heritage like free of charge, just we got it from <coughs> our parents. I mean, I uh, belong still to this generation that I could learn, let's say, Syriac, just the language, or even going to the church as an altar boy or shamosha, etc. just happened, you know? And this chance is not any more, almost anywhere in the world. I might be a little exaggerating, but to make it clear, we don't have any more, uh, anywhere cultural place where sort of natively, automatically, this heritage of Syriac Christianity, language, culture will be transmitted to the next generation. Now, because it's not the case, we have to give it. So we receive it, we have to give it to others. And now, related to, the, again, your work here, what I heard yesterday and today, observing sort of the socio-cultural aspect, seeing what's happening, it's very important, and very important. But what I'm still missing is to relate it to the reason why it is like this, yeah? So to, to relate it, certain things would have reasonable account, others certainly not. But this is a key aspect for me to think how can integration and acculturation here in, in Europe take a place that Syriac heritage will manage to define itself in one way or the other and protect sort of the core elements of it. And also to define for us as a Syriac Christians, it's very important to learn to see what are these core element. So everything we cannot keep, yeah? But we don't not also to say Fushrina, be assimilated. Now, what falls under everything that we cannot keep, but what can fall under the something that we can keep? And this is a quick question. The wizard is related also the quick question, how much the new society where we are living, the new culture, the new states where we are now, like here in Sweden, how much the state is really willing to take it or their agenda to help us to protect certain elements of this culture? And these are open questions. For me, they are not answered yet.
And on that level, we need also research to see how much can, like here, Swedish society go to say we can see sort of Syria Christianity properly integrated in Sweden as a part of our Swedish nation. Thank you very much, and that kind of, maybe the answer is coming from your, from your right side there. Uh, Henrik, what, what, do we, what about the Swedish state and, and... Yes, I will listen to that. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Magdalena. And, and thank you very much for, for being able to, to attend here at this conference. It's been very interesting for me as uh, both a researcher, scholar, and also uh, representing Delmi then, the Migration Studies Delegation, which is a committee under the Ministry of Justice. And we've been working with these issues for like nine years now, uh, starting out in 2013 and 14. So next year it will probably be some kind of jubilee for us. Uh, and uh, my, for myself, I have no background in the Syrian community or church, as you may see and, and hear from, from me. Uh, my only religious background is that I have a wife who happened to be a minister, but in the Church of Sweden, the Svenska Kyrkan, and also a, a PhD in theology. Uh, so she is a recent PhD there so since a year ago, Ingrid. Um, the Migration Studies delegation, then, that I represent, we are a committee under the Ministry of Justice. And we have a role to play in order to, well, somebody talked about a brokering function. We used to call it a bridge-building function between academia, research, scholars, expertise on the area of migration and integration, delivering that to the policy area, decision makers and practitioners around the country, mostly in, in Sweden then, but we also have a European level, so to say, because Sweden is in, inside the European community and, and we have this, this framework. Um, we cover almost all aspects of migration and integration. Uh, from the global migration flows to the regulatory frameworks, rules, laws, EU directives, but also integrations, both the outcomes but also the analysis behind the outcomes and the results from different projects, policies and, and frameworks that contribute to integration or is perceived to contribute to integration in Sweden, both on the economic side, the political side, and the societal side. And where does integration or the religious part and the tradition part plays, and what role does it play here? I can for sure say that it has not been one of the main areas of study inside Delmi from the nine years that we have that, uh, that has passed. We do have a knowledge overview of religion and integration by none other than Magdalena that will be published in early 2023. So in one or two months, in early February or something like that, in, in Uppsala, we are planning to launch it. So you're all welcome and please stay in touch with me or Magdalena and we'll invite you to, to that. Um, 
Apart from that, we have done very little in that field, but we are very interested in the knowledge and in the, in the scholars that are into migration, integration from the side of religion and religiosity. We do have a small fund of, of funds to, to share to researchers and to scholars. Uh, so you apply via the website, you can, you can have information from me or from our website, and then apply for funds. And we used to say that we're generous with just about everything, uh, excluding how much money you get. So don't <laughs> expect millions, expect much less. But we're, we're very, very happy to have your applications. Um, I would say we try to serve as something of a broker or a bridge builder between uh, two different spheres in society, academia and policy making. And policy making is not then only politicians, but it's policies made out by agencies, municipalities, civil society organizations, and, and many, many others. Churches including them, of course. Um, what in my profession relates to this topic of migration, integration, and, and tradition then? Well, I think there is plenty of migration and integration studies that relate to this field of religion, religiosity, beliefs, and values that are often connected to, to religion. And there are some interesting facts to, to look at from this perspective. I, I come from a different angel, so I won't go into the, the, the Syriac community, but rather look from it from a helicopter perspective, so to say. In Sweden, among youngsters, or young people between 14 and, and 19, according to a study by Karina Mood and Jan Jonsson from Stockholm University, it came only a couple of months ago, the single most distinguishing factor that differentiates those with Swedish and foreign-born background was religiosity, mm -hmm. their religiosity. Mm -hmm. Roughly three out of four, 75% of the foreign-born versus 15% of the Swedish-born considered religion as a very or rather important factor in their lives. So religiosity tend to be much larger among foreign-born. It tend to decrease in both groups, both Swedish-born and foreign-born during the late teens, but in the same amount for both Swedes and foreign-born. Religiosity also plays a role in their daily lives, uh, but also concerning long-term decisions that are taken. And one of the single most important choices we, do, we tend to make as, as uh, individuals, that's marriage. It turns out that religiosity makes people more prone to marry others with a strong and the same religiosity, stronger for women than for men. Just mentioning also some of the studies that I've come across that relates to this theme. Um, one of the last reports we had from Delmi, just launched it a couple of weeks ago, uh, was a study of self-expressed integration among newly arrived migrants who are currently participating in various language courses as in, in Sweden, such as SFE, uh, but not only, not exclusively. 
The results from that survey shows that respondents overall have relatively little contacts with Swedes born in Sweden and their knowledge of Swedish politics is rather low because we ask two, two simple questions. What is uh, the, the leader of the Swedish uh, largest party also in government? Many of them didn't know. Two out of three believe that it will be difficult to get a job in Sweden. One group stood out from these results. People who are members, newly arrived immigrants that are members of the Church of Sweden, Svenska Kyrkandan, converts from another religion had much more contacts and for example they ate dinner with Swedes significantly more often than others. These members also valued their ability to speak and spell much higher than other groups. They did not only value their abilities to understand the Swedish politics, they in fact did better when we asked these two questions on policies and politics in Sweden. Last but not least, these newly arrived immigrants belonging to the Church of Sweden it was the group that is most certain that they want to remain, stay in Sweden. They feel attached to this country. That's their home now. Now there is the obvious challenge with the question of causality and correlation. Could it be that those converting to the Church of Sweden, newly arrived immigrants, might be especially prone to integrating? Or is it rather the activities inside the church, the social networks, that drive these results? From my view, there is an indication that much of the past and possibly also the present migration and integration research has focused on structural factors, socioeconomic condition linked to work, living standards, housing, education, exams. Very important, all of these. One of the main results of this research seems to be that we should put more focus on subjective indicators of integration. And here I think that religion, religiosity and religious tradition plays an important role and can be a contributing factors to the outcomes of integrations. So what do we know then about the role that religion plays in migrants' lives? One of the most important findings is that religion tend to lose in importance among those who have migrated to Sweden. We know this from the great survey, World Value Survey, that aims to measure value differences between countries and over time. The migrants studied in these surveys, both in Sweden and in other Western countries, mainly come from countries where religion is very important compared to Sweden and other Western countries. When the same questions are asked in Sweden to migrants from these countries, the assessment of the importance of religions tends to drop, but it's still far above the majority population in Sweden. If we go back in history, there was a dominant theme in social science concerning traditions and values. Many researchers tended to see as a condition for an emancipatory development is that people leave religion in favor of more secular views. 
The reasons given for this supposed to be that religion, regardless of denomination, tend to be patriarchal, less friendly towards self-expression, and moreover, non-individualistic. This is, however, if you look at the values for Swedish newly arrived migrants, we cannot really see support for that conclusion. We cannot really see that strong support. B. Puranen just made a great study, or two great studies on this field, and she looks a bit the other way around. Um, to the really difficult questions that we try to analyze is how the values which has characterized Sweden for a long time separates us from the groups that tend to seek refugee nowadays in Northern Europe and, and in general and to Sweden in particular. In which areas are the risks of cultural and value clashes the biggest? And how should we, we use this knowledge in order to facilitate integration and avoid the clashes? And that's one of the areas that we actually discussed during the last committee meeting we had last week. I stopped there because I have run over my time <laughs> terribly much. Sorry. Th no, thank, thank, you thank, you. thank you very much. Uh, so now it's kind of how you came into the, what you kind of had a know and uh, the knowledge before being here for two days. Uh, so now I just want to tell you how much from what you said then before, what you knew. Was there something kind of new, something that you wasn't aware of before listening to us these days? And we'll start over again with Lula. Uh, well, it's not that I wasn't aware of it, but it's like. Um, it's quite a special, like finding myself in a special position where I am an active and integral part of a society that someone observes. And, um, and I realized more and more, because I, I, I also realized when we sat here that me and Aho, we are activists. We're trying to <laughs> conserve something while, while you as researchers, you of course, you observe us and try to find something, um, try to define where we are at what stage and try to, uh, to define us as a group while many of us maybe are on the margins of, of this group, trying to, to push it forward toward a certain direction, trying to keep the core values that we need to keep in order to, to, to retain our ethno-religious um, diversity uh, and not be completely assimilated while we also need to be integrated in a Swedish society. And uh, I think that one of the most important, um, most important, um, how do you say that, insights for me uh, was uh, the role of religion because uh, as you said, uh, Henrik, like I don't think the Swedish society has Valued the role of religion in our in, uh, in our like integration process, uh, but it is a, a really integral part of how we define ourselves. So, and for the Syriac Orthodox group, we are socio-economically really integrated. Uh, many of us are highly educated, but we still have. Uh, this is my position. We have like a formation journey still. 
in order not to feel uh, threatened by the, the society, uh, the Swedish society, and not see, is, see it as something that will threaten uh, our, um, our ethnic or religious um, core, if you would say that. Um, so I've learned a lot, but my main thing is that we need activism uh, within this community and not only observations. Like we, we have to be the, the agents in order to keep something and try to push things forward also. And um, unfortunately, we have some inherent uh, obstacles <laughs> uh, within our community that will make this difficult because who will give uh, some of us the, the, um, the possibility to define what we should keep and what, what we can get rid of uh, during this process. So I think that we have an internal struggle within our community in, in what we define as important, what is religion, what is tradition, what, what, which are our co core values and what can be sacrificed on the altar of integration uh, without it uh, threatening us as a, as a people. Hold on. You talked about the core values. Have you the answer what they are after being here for two days? Have you answered that for, for you? Or is it, you talked about teaching and training. Have you learned other others that you kind of see you doing these days? Or? You see, um, from the Christians, I, I didn't, as we actually shared together with an, uh, all our sort of sisters, and brothers from all other churches, and particularly also here from the uh, Latin church in general in Europe, we see that this Christianity is promoting life, promoting also social life, promoting values, promoting the in dignity of every person. And just to put it probably just one word, which we are, is very much present in our liturgy is that man is created in the image of God. And if this means everyone, yeah? And so sort of this is the highest dignity level of one can give to each other as a human being living with, with each other and so on. And this is sort of the promoting the coexistence from the sort of ideal way of understanding what's mean being Christian and also what's mean for me to be a Syria Christian. So the value of Syria Christianity, I think, can contribute a lot to the society here in a positive way, just if I put, may put it just general. You know, uh, there's also here a process of rediscovering the identity of Europe. And of course, for us, identity is very much related simply to religions and simply to the language. And we cannot separate them. But of course, with a more modern approach, a particularly academic approach, one tries to separate them and in detail we look at them. This is certainly very helpful to understanding what's going on, but we cannot leave them as separate components somewhere. So I was only 10 days ago before other conference, I was on a pan-European conference in Vienna. And of course, the idea of the conference is the political situation of our unifying, unifying, sorry, it's wrong, uh, sort of the community to strengthen the understanding of community of all Europe, uh, European culture. But in that context also was the question, what is the soul, rediscovering the soul of Europe? And with, of course, not just respect, with all 
right to all other religions also in Europe too. But still, Europe had in the past a strong presence and shaping character with its Christian identity. And this is a question for the Europe, also for the future of Europe, and to further development. How can be sort of the spirit of Christianity be, be still here present among the, our all normal uh, European fellows? And for us means to keep a core aspect of, of our identity, mean also for me personally, mean this core understanding of the Christian being. What does it mean? What is the minimum of understanding of Christianity and can, that we can keep? With it is, of course, related the question of this enormous, huge influence and importance of Syriac Aramaic language, the language that is a biblical language, that is the language of Jesus Christ that he spoken with his disciples, and is a language with enormous, huge literature is there. And if you lose as a community who try to keep this tradition in this language, with the liturgy particularly, still alive, that gives life to the people who takes part in it and understands the sort of this opening door dimension to the yes, now mystical world, if this language is lost, that means this door is narrowed. I wouldn't say shut, but it is very narrow. But as much as people can take part and understand through this language, is something special there. And it's special in the context of, of its history that shaped it, which is Semitic Oriental way of thinking and understanding. And this is Oriental way of thinking and understanding it. It cannot be put in danger, which it is, unfortunately, after many years or decades that was persecuted, etc. We didn't have the freedom there, but somehow it survived in the Middle East. Now coming to a freedom, a country where you can express yourself, where you can do everything, but exactly with this freedom, we see it that is endangered. And these are core elements, those few points which I mentioned, I can add to them, but even to start with them, how can we transmit some of these core elements to the next tradition? And if I may add another aspect, which I mentioned before with a sort of society in Europe, I don't believe and I don't want to promote or think about that we can live sort of like a separate. We have to be together. This is a, a very important aspect for survival here in Europe and also to contribute to the society here. We have to do it together, sort of. I we cannot focus, we like often say, yeah, we should at least try to give it to our children. Yeah, It's not going to work just to give it to our children. It has to be in a way that is a stream there that everyone who wants can come and take part in it. I stop here. Thank you. Henrik, have you learned something new that you will bring back to? Yes, to I, yes I, I think so. Um, coming from well, this bridge-building function between academia, research, and, and policy-making, I would say that the main message that I've taken from, from this conference and the, the chats and discussions we've had here, we have to understand from the policy side, migration and integration takes place 
from the perspective of tradition as well. How migrants integrate into Sweden and other new countries, they come to a new context that has many more dimensions than what I mentioned earlier, that is only focused on uh, living conditions, working, education, structural, socio-economic conditions then. I think this dimension is often underestimated. It's a, such an important uh, dimension for, for practitioners, decision makers and other stakeholders uh, inside the governmental sphere, but also outside of the governmental sphere as agencies, municipalities and so on. I think that we must realize that integration takes place at many different dimensions and levels at the same time, forming but also restructuring the identity that we have. This is not a linear process from something old, transforming to something new. It is that, but it's it at the same time upholding something old. I think many of those of us who are working inside the governmental sphere must, must understand and grasp this multidimensional side. Um, and I also think that there are some, well, some more, more uh, if I could add to something to, to that, I had a really interesting conversation during lunch. For example, I think that the Ministry of Justice and the Migrations Agency should try to learn from the expertise of integration and tradition in relations to convertits, mm -hmm. those who are converting from uh, Muslim faith or, or different denomination to Christian faith, um, which in turn can improve their understanding and lessen the, the squareness that otherwise might prevail. To do that, you got to have research, you got to have evidence-based knowledge to play a part. And we have to reach out to each other to, to find common ground here. But I do think that there are both on the practical side, but also on the more structural side, something to learn from how integration takes place, how acculturation takes place inside this religious tradition. I really do, do think that. Um, the example that, that I mentioned, I actually stole from, from one of the participants here, but I hope you forgive me for, for doing that. <laughs> it was Charlotte. <laughs> yeah, it was Charlotte. Yeah. <laughs> I can <laughs> admit to that. Uh, uh, we will soon open up the floor, but I, I, then, then we can kind of go back to you, Rula, and say, you, you said that the important thing is kind of for the church now is what do they have to do? We don't kind of, we are not helped by being looked at, <laughs> looked upon. What I, that Henrik is in a way saying that we have to have the research and we kind of to have empirical. So how do we go further then? Should we do more or should we be activists? I think we need both uh, because as Aha said, he used um, the words surviving and living, because I know that I have spoken a lot to my my friends. Uh, we we often speak about like our collective trauma and how it is transmitted through the generations. And I would say that for many years, we as a people, we were in survival mode. Mm -hmm. 
So we fought so much for our surviving existence. And now since we came to Europe, like the, the threat is not as urgent anymore. So, so many of us have relaxed mm. and we have started to live uh, instead of surviving. Uh, so for me is like, it is, of course, it's really good to have this evidence-based data in order mm. to see what is happening, but we can't rely on observation for us as a people if we want mm. to, to keep on living, not maybe surviving, but we have to keep on living because we have such a rich heritage. And it would be a great loss if we, after 2,000 years, came to Europe, started living, uh, left the threat behind, and became assimilated and lost our language, our, our cultural core, if you can say that, our religious core uh, as Christians, because we are, uh, we are this, this heritage of this native tongue of Christ. And we have these old rituals who are so beautiful. And we have our theological and poetic tradition that is, it's, it's like it's practiced theology in each and every ritual that we have. So it's, it's so beautiful and it's so rich and we can't lose that just because we, we, the, the immediate threat is gone now. So, so I want us to, um, I don't even remember the question, but these, <laughs> like the concepts of, of surviving and living uh, are so important mm -hmm. and, and the activism has to come within, this, within the church. Mm -hmm. And it's great that we have Unver, who is a part of the, of the community, doing research, but we also need to, to have an activism from within the church. And our, also our secular organizations, they do their best, but, but I think we need to do more. Because it would be a real pity to see all the evidence uh, and the research materials being produced and like defining this people being assimilated into nothing since we started living. And how, how will that be done then? How will we have co cohesion, co-living co in Europe then, as uh, kind of keeping the old tradition, the heritage, the language, the traditions, and being part of the society too? First of all, I tried to answer the previous question regarding actually what I learned myself from here, from your work, uh, which is certainly a work that needs to be encouraged and to be continued doing it and not leaving it here now after four years just as a project. No, it should be institutional such work regarding the future, the present and future situation of uh, Syriac church in Sweden in this case, yeah? Uh, a number of the presentation, basically, I could relate, them to, relate to them from my own experience because I went through this tradition in the 80s here, from exactly 1980, how we established churches, which person, like about the leading role, we, uh, hierarchy, uh, role of priests or bishops and so on, or lay people there, I went through who is going to have the last word, who is going to put something in practice, uh, not all the question of the role of Shamshinios, um, the woman in the church, and so on, or this separation. So this is part which we are going through through it. And this, for me, is uh, important to look at it with your skills, I mean, with your sort of sociological, sociocultural methods of uh, try to define it, describe it, analyze it. This is not the language that I'm using usually. I'm more on, on the other side, on the theological aspect or historical uh, aspect. But this is why is it for me important 
just an objective way to find out, to see how can our situation, if I say our in general now Syriac situation, be described, what it is like. This is important aspect to understand it. And these results, if they are sort of, let's say, in an objective way and not in negative criticized way, they should be taken as outcome, taken as outcome for us, particularly members of this community and religious identity, to reflect as, about them. And then also to see what is going positive, what is going well, what is less mm -hmm. working, or what is received among our fellow Swedish uh, people here that see it positive or not. And then we have to balance out, I mean, what, how can we continue and how can we have certain things improve, this is one thing. But the other thing is also we need a common research, common research together to understand why certain things, it's not enough to describe it. What I mentioned before is just describing and uh, seeing how things function is something else really to look beyond or between the difference entirety like in a church. I mean, you heard about the family and so on. This is a very important to see how his family is seen. But then it's also important to understand why is a family is understood as such, why family is functioning uh, as such. Um, in, in relevant to our community, to our members' people, I think it's an important aspect to see and to understand the strengths of their own tradition, yeah? to, to know about it and to evaluate it. But often, like I mentioned, when I was a, a child teenager in Germany, we tried to look up to the new society mm -hmm. and try to adapt everything according to that. You know, and something is a lot, a lot which, which we can give, which we can take, we can share, yeah? So the light of Christianity is a light should lighten everywhere we are, and not just lighting for me on, on from my short way. This is the way that, uh, that I see it, but we need a professional work. And the other th thing, what I lastly, I want to say is, Certain things cannot be developed here, even also religious and cannot be developed and defined and work on it if you haven't got professional people working on them and almost full time. Yeah? This is a key aspect. Look in all yours, let's say, say just say generally, you and us is not, not, not nice language to use that, but look at the normal established uh, churches or religious communities in, in, in the West. Of course, it's their homeland, it's your homeland, etc. You are there, you are institutionalized. You are not just a community of faithful who can come together whenever they like. No, even if no one comes together, still the institute is there, it has got its defined frame, it's functioning, at least until now. Mm -hmm. yeah? And we have to institutionalize ourselves, our tradition in one way or the other, that we've got also professional people who can work on it. And this is missing at the moment. It was also, of course, missing in a homeland, but in the homeland, it wasn't required as such as here. Okay, thank you. So, Henrik, how do we solve that from, from the state and from the delegation? How do we make, join these kind of questions, the research, the activism, and also upholding the tradition, giving kind of the possibilities to uphold this? tradition, if I hear you right, rightly, mm. kind of in the Swedish case, can, can, what can the policymakers do? Um, 
I think that the policy makers and also the social scientists can learn something from, from pro projects like this. It, in some ways, I would say, challenge the binary thinking that social scientists, including myself, sometimes tend to have. It also challenges social scientists and policymakers belief in, well, sort of the large narratives, modernization, secularization. This research sort of um, challenged those large narratives and put them in a inside a broader picture. Uh, they look at the multidimensional side of integration and of tradition that you can change but still uphold a tradition. There are many layers and I think that this, this type of work is very valuable if it comes to decision makers and practitioners. And the large question is how do we do that? And the thing is that we have to do it together. You cannot do it on your own, and we cannot do it on our own. So we have to meet, we have to interact. We must do like we're doing right now, but, but continue to do that. Um, invite others to these type of events, um, and make sure that you're yourself invited. When the migration agency, the police, the Ministry of Justice, civilian society organization, municipalities, and others working with these groups, um, the Syriac community, but also perhaps also other communities that might share the same, the, the share the same faith that you have uh, in, in one way or another. Because I think that your experiences are somewhat unique, but not only unique. They are also part of a more general schedule, I would say, in, in this sense. So meeting, bridge building, that's essential for us to, to learn from, from this research. And I think that there are many le lessons to, to be learned from it. Uh, I mentioned in my earlier, my earlier answer a couple of Concerning convertites, for example, I think convertites is, is a very good example of having this type of research that, that sort of gives, sets another scene and sets another narrative for decision makers inside, for example, the migrations agency or, or other agencies that work with this group. Thank you. And now, now uh, I said before that we will open up the floor for questions, but uh, I think there is new, there should be new coffee arriving, and I think maybe we should have a chat over coffee instead of this more formal, raising the hand, sitting, waiting, being kind of longing for the coffee, half listening. So I, I, I would suggest that we kind of finish with the panel here, and then take the questions with them in person. Thank you for the panel. Uh,